Well, folks, we made it to December of 2020, and this year's been crazy. You should treat yourself this holiday season with a prime rib. And not just any prime rib. You need a United Harvest Wagyu Angus Cross prime rib for you and your family to chow down on, throw it in the smoker for hours. Hours, literally. Please do this. Send us some photos. I would love to see it. Enjoy it with your family because you you need it, okay? This year sucked, guys. Come on. Go to unitedharvest.com. Check out the specials that they are having on their prime rib and any other meat that they have in stock. It's incredible meat. Trust me. I've tried it. Unitedharvest.com. Type in the promo code friends 15 for 15% off your first order, unitedharvest.com. I don't even know how to remotely start a podcast. I don't know how to start a conversation. Start <laughs> a podcast. If I could be any celebrity, I'd be Will Winner. Please, for the love of God, if you're listening to this and you still tuck your jeans and your boots, reach down, pull those bad boys out, all right? We're done with that. We're done with that. I am 97 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. Next! I should have brought my recorder. I could have played hot cross buns. Is that illegal? <laughs> when our two moms listen to this podcast, are going to be like... Yeah, our two moms. They're going to be super proud of us. Welcome <laughs> to the Keeper Pen. Hello, everyone. We are back again. We can't, can't get rid of us. Kind of like a rash. Ha ha ha. Anyway, um, inside joke. <laughs> but we're back with our boss babes, a, um, our continuation of our season two. And this week we have Jara Settles. And Jara, I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Let them know who you are. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Jara Settles. Uh, professionally, I am general counsel and vice president of risk mitigation for the Livestock Marketing Association. Um, we live in Leavenworth, Kansas, which is just outside of Kansas City. We raise club lambs, and then uh, my cows still live in Northeast Nebraska uh, with my folks. That's so fun because you're you're engaged now, right? Which was totally like, I mean, we didn't see that one coming at all. <laughs> Yes, yes, we got engaged, um, ironically enough, on September 11th, 2020, which um, who'd have thought that was a good day, but it turns out it was a good day. So we had been, we'd been together for a minute. Um, (laughs) So where'd you go to school? Like junior college, you went to K-State, correct? Yeah, so junior college was at Butler, and I would have judged for Chris Mullenix while he was still there. And then K-State to finish up, I have an animal science undergrad degree and um, judged there as well, um, livestock for uh, Scott Shockey, and was actually also on the uh, horse judging team by kind of a fluke. And then uh, my JD, my law degree is from Washburn University School of Law in Topeka, Kansas. So I know you touched a little bit on the career path that you're on right now, but where did you start and how did you get to the point that you are right now? 
Yeah, so I've taken a fairly linear trajectory, I guess. Um, I have enjoyed listening to some of the past episodes and listening to some kind of the interesting paths others have taken. I have a little less exciting path. Um, I graduated from undergrad or was kind of getting toward um, the point where I was needing to graduate and the economy sucked. And so I knew that I figured it was a, a safer place to be was continuing my education rather than battling it out for a job. So I knew that I wanted to stay in school. I just didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and for a long time, ever since I was a little girl, I always thought I wanted to be a lawyer, but um, maybe didn't, I didn't really know any lawyers, um, didn't really know if I was smart enough, um, or could hack it, you know, and, um, ended up having some folks encourage me to, uh, pursue that. And I'm glad I did. And then, um, once I was done with law school, um, kind of the way legal internships work, you intern with, um, folks that you're probably going to hopefully get a job from. It's quite a bit more of a, straight line approach than normal internships, which may or may not lead to a job. So I interned um, both summers of law school at two different law firms and then accepted a position with kind of a a global um, law firm that's actually based out of Kansas City called Shikardi and Bacon and was with them for about three years as an associate attorney. I did um, complex litigation, uh, civil defense, and also did some food and, and beverage um, consulting and, and um, compliance work. And then um, actually a, a friend of mine from the livestock thing uh, reached out to me. She was um, head of kind of the government industry affairs at Livestock Marketing Association, uh, Chelsea Good. And she called one day and she was like, hey, we're uh, looking to hire an in-house attorney. Um, the attorney that we've used for the last I don't even know. I think Ernie started in 1976. Um, he's retiring and we're looking to bring that position in house. Uh, do you know of anybody? And I made all kinds of suggestions for other people. And then I was like, yeah, I just, I just don't know. I just don't know of a, a great fit for what you're looking for. And she was like, well, I, I met you. <laughs> and I just had never um, thought that that opportunity would come to me so early in, in my career um, to be able to go in-house, to be able to come back to agriculture. Um, I kind of had it in my mind that I was going to tough it out in big law for at least five to seven years. And so to have an opportunity to change course um, so quickly was a little bit of a surprise, but I'm really glad that I jumped. <laughs> I've never regretted that move. So I love that because you were trying to be like humble and just like, I don't really know anyone. You know, gonna, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of people who, you know, like they don't, they don't, like you said, just jump. And, and it sounds because you don't want to cross that line between being cocky or me or pick me because uh, you know that, like you said, you were young, you didn't think that you probably deserve that opportunity, but mm -hmm. go for it because where you're at now and stuff like that. So, so what's like, I'm very intrigued because this lawyer attorney, like there's not a lot of people who do that. And there's a lot of people my age who do want to do that. Um, I know there's a lot of kids that I go to school with that want to go to law school. So what does your like day-to-day -day look like? What's some things that you work on that incorporates your animal science, your background in the livestock industry with your law school degree? Yeah, the 
kind of marrying of the two different worlds, I guess, when I was in the more traditional legal market, you know, looking at law firm jobs, which is kind of the more normal path um, coming out of law school, actually was kind of interesting. I found more people found my background interesting in terms of being a farm kid um, and having that kind of more hard science degree rather than like poli sci or history or something like that to be a differentiator, which um, was a pleasant surprise. Um, I was worried that they would be like, oh, so your degree's in farming um, and, and would have to explain, no, there's actually a lot of crossover in terms of analytical thought and whatnot. But um, you know, in terms of day-to-day activity in my current role with, with Livestock Marketing Association, we're the, you know, the nation's primary um, trade organization for livestock marketing businesses. So um, if you are a entity that sells livestock, um, like a sale barn, um, or, you know, SE online, um, they are all registered and bonded through um, the USDA. And some of those businesses, especially the fixed facility businesses, like your local livestock auction market, um, about 80% of those nationwide are members of ours. So I am not only the general counsel to the association, so I provide um, legal resources in terms of employment law questions or contracts or just kind of general business advice to our association, but I'm also the attorney for our 800 member markets. So um, if I'm officiating the judging contest in Louisville and somebody calls and they've got an emergency, uh, I pick up and help handle it for them. So that's uh, a lot of my day is is fielding questions and um, trying to solve people's problems. That sounds crazy exciting and crazy stressful. Like it's kind of giving me anxiety just thinking about it. I mean, so like going through all of those steps that you took in your career role and then trying to manage daily tasks. And then you talked about also having cattle back home. How do you manage all of that and, you know, try to juggle work life and home life and your livestock that are still um, in Nebraska? Yeah, I mean, it's not easy. It's gotten to be um, more manageable now that we're remote. Um, I used to have about an hour commute um, one way, uh, obviously there and back. So it's two hours of my day was spent in my truck um, driving to our office. And so now it's now we're remote because of COVID. And so that really helps uh, with that work-life balance. Um, But yeah, it's just kind of about prioritizing how you want to spend your time. I think as a younger person, I prioritized more social things. um, And probably because I felt like that's what was expected of me um, to, you know, go out and um, happy hour with people and, and network. When in reality, what kind of feeds me more is spending time um, doing what I love, which is you know taking care of our livestock. I did not grow up with sheep, but we um, have, uh, I hesitate to say this, 40 ewes here um, in Kansas City uh, at our house, which is probably more than we need, but that's what we have. Um, and so that consumes a lot of our free time. So it's just, you know, kind of making choices about what you enjoy and what gives you joy. And then my parents, I mean, they do all of the hard work on the cows. I just go home and boss them around (laughs) about what we should be breeding to and um, how we should be marketing them. But um, at some point, 
point the cows will get down here, probably not as many as they have currently, because that's just probably too much to put on um, Barrett's in my plate. But, um, but yeah, they, they do all the heavy lifting. That's funny. Cause that's kind of how Maddie and I are. We get, go back home and not that we don't have much livestock at home, or at least I know our barns are empty, but we still find ways to boss them around <laughs> get back to the homestead. But I want to kind of backtrack a little bit. Um, and talk about your judging career. Cause what you do for women in judging is something that I admire a lot. Um, kind of give us the rundown of, like you said, I know you went to Butler and then K-State and your experience, your successes with that. And then where you're finding yourself now um, in that role as a female evaluator. Yeah, um, so I judged at Butler and K-State. <laughs> It's funny, we were having these conversations at Louisville, uh, where I was just an official for the JUCO and senior college um, contests, and that it would have been 10 years ago that I judged um, senior college at Louisville, and so we're talking about kind of reminiscing and, and how important everybody kind of builds that contest up to be, and how important your results are in the moment. Everybody, before you give your kind of spiel, especially to the senior college contestants, you're like trying to think of like something inspirational to leave them with or whatever. And so a lot of people as you're like standing around that are officials have really great memories of their own results. Like they remember that they were, you know, they talked a, a 45 and a half average, or they remember that they, you know, were third in cattle at such and such contest. I, I don't know if it's just, I'm such a ball mover that like once something's over, I'm done with it. But I remember the highlights and the lowlights and that's it. Like I remember that I won um, Raisins and Juco at Kansas City and Louisville. I set the all-time scoring record at Louisville. And then I remember being 11th at Louisville in senior college because I had food poisoning the night before the contest. And past that, you know, I know that we had great successes uh, and great failures as, as teams along the way, but it's funny how you just remember kind of the highlights. Um, and so I think the reason I kind of tell that story is um, you know, Jenna, the, the part of, you know, your judging career that you're getting ready to embark on, um, we get so wrapped up in, you know, how did I talk on this specific set or how did I do at this, you know, piddly dink contest uh, or this mock or whatever. 10 years from now, you won't remember. All you remember is kind of the most important stuff. So I think that helps to kind of put things in perspective. Um I'll tell you, nobody had me come officiate Louisville uh, because I had some specific result in a in a judging contest. Uh, I'd like to think that they asked me to come and give my opinion on livestock because I'm a good evaluator. Uh, I've got some, you know, some some credibility given my career path, etc. Um, so yeah, that's my that's kind of my my word of advice uh, on livestock judging. No, I I agree with that completely because. If anything, if I learned anything this year with Houston being canceled, and I know that there's a lot, there's a lot of girls that follow and listen to this podcast who aren't into college yet and, and keep going for it. Don't like shoot for the stars, but um, it's very important in the time. And, and I love judging, but man, when Houston got canceled, it was like, oh, so this really isn't like the end all be all like, right. This isn't it. But um, yeah, I remember you, you officiated junior college last year. Cause I gave a, Simital Bull said to you, I remember that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
fun. Yeah, I uh, every now and then I run into somebody that I took a set from, and <laughs> uh, of course you listen to like 120 sets in a day, and there's nine boxes in each set. But um, in terms of what's said, but it's funny because I am such a harsh scorer that I'm afraid that I'm like sending all these young people out thinking that I think they did a bad job or something like that. So I always try to at the critique say I'm a harsh scorer this is just how it is I try to spread things out so uh, but I have this fear that I've got this like entire generation of young people that think I'm some kind of mean substitute teacher <laughs> well I mean not to brag or anything but I did talk your high set so I oh there she goes yeah I mean not to like, you know throw my little self-hype in there but no I think that another thing that I wanted to get into with judging and um, Maddie didn't judge, but she roots for me hard and she roots. For I me. was just going to, I was just going to say, um, you don't have to worry about ever taking a set from me. <laughs> I've, I've given one set of reasons before and I left sobbing. And oh. so hard. Yeah. Okay. I, I am never, said, I am never doing, you looked at your dad in the face and you said, I am never, and I mean, never doing that again. Yeah, he was so mad. I don't know if I was more sad about how horrified I was or if I was more mad about the lunch that was provided for me. I, <laughs> I was so mad. Anyways, but I get really hangry really easily. So, and Jenna does too. So I don't know how she survived it, but Jenna, go ahead with whatever you're saying. <laughs> No, that is true. The lunches, if you're a big lunch person, judging's not for you. Because I think it's rough. cheese tray at Barrow Show. Like it was, it's not good. You got to You got to judge meats. They feed you good in the meats contest is at least what I've been told. I was never a meats judger because my handwriting is horrendous, but that's what I've been told. No, I was just going to talk about kind of where you see like females, like, I know that I just want to talk about the list that you're creating. Yeah. To have. You take that and, and run with that and what that's about. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that all the way through collegiate livestock judging, you know, if I look to my left or my right, as we're standing up there receiving plaques or whatever, you know, half the folks that are being rewarded for excelling in collegiate livestock judging contests roughly are, are gals, you know, half the people that are competing in the contests are young ladies. So theoretically, all of these young people are graduating with the same credentials. And then as we start looking at, um, you know, even before that, a lot of folks that judge before that, they're, um, they participate in youth livestock shows or youth livestock programs. In I think if you look around any show ring or at any of those junior events, you see a pretty even distribution of young ladies and, and young men. So, um, you know, the question arose uh, among kind of a group of, of women evaluators that it, uh, I'm lucky enough to be friends with, um, you know, why the disconnect? We, we look at the highest level of livestock evaluation, um, you know, on the national scene and state fairs and um, and whatnot. And it, it feels like there's less female evaluators than there are men. And so um, that conversation kind of spawned um, a really informal text um, survey of just people that I know. Uh, I've reached out to folks from all over the country, 
um, older than me, my age, younger than me, people, you know, fresh out of the judging experience or of the showing experience and basically asked, have you ever shown to a female judge? If so, who was it? And at what level of show was it? And I expected to see um, folks younger than me answering more in the trend line of, you know, additional female evaluators, because I had it in my mind that we were fixing this, what I perceive as a problem of, of a lack of, um, of, of female judges. And I was disappointed that um, even some of the young folks that I talked to had either only shown to one woman once and it was at a jackpot or in showmanship, which not to discredit, you know, showmanship, but you know, it's not, not the show. Um, or they'd never shown to a female judge or, or they'd only shown to me. Um, and if, if the folks that responded to my little informal survey had shown to a woman, it was one of about five. And I also determined uh, to the best of this informal survey's responses that the only woman that any of us could think of that had ever judged like a major market show uh, on a national level was Candy Schminke judging the weathers at Denver, I think 10 years ago. Um, and we couldn't think of a single time that a Texas major had ever hired a woman to judge any species um, ever uh, of any of the market shows. And so to be real frank, that kind of made me mad. Um, not just because I think it's unfair, um, because you know fairness doesn't really matter uh, in this world, unfortunately, but uh, because I just don't think that that's really providing a great service to the young people that are showing. Um, if we are eliminating half of the opinions or half of the qualified evaluators, then we're probably going to be left with some shows that we didn't feel like we got the best um, opinions from. And if we're only hiring half the people that are coming out of these programs, theoretically equally qualified, um, we are going to be leaving something on the table in terms of uh, role models or in terms of opinions or in terms of um, directions that we could be taking. And so that's where the inspiration came from to create this judges list, this female judges list. Um, you know, I don't think that shows fail to hire women because they don't like women. Um, you know, I think it's probably because they're just, they don't, they don't know, or they don't know who's available, or they don't um, have a great idea of who is qualified other than somebody that they've already seen judge a different show. And so if we just hire people that we've seen judge other shows, then we just keep hiring the same people. So with that, um, this kind of group and I created this Excel spreadsheet and it lives in Google Sheets. Um, and anybody that wants to look at it can certainly do so. Um, I share it with people all the time and it's organized basically the way you get on it is somebody suggests you um, you have to identify as female. Um, and I reach out to that person and I say, Jenna, would you like to be on this female judges list? And if so, please indicate which species you're comfortable judging and at what level, um, county, state, you know, jackpot or all levels. And then, you know, it's, it's available for folks to, to, you know, take it from there. You know, it's not, 
um, just people I like. It's not just people that I think do a good job. It's anybody that's been recommended. So it's a whole variety of people from all over the place. And if you think that you should be on the list, check your <laughs> Facebook messages because there's uh, a whole bunch of people that I reached out to that they just um, never have received the message. So unitedharvest.com is having some incredible holiday sales for you and your family this year. Go check out their entire catalog of beef, Angus, Wagyu Cross, uh, purebred Angus. We got Hooterite pork and we got American grass fed lamb. Go try out any of those products at unitedharvest.com. Enter the promo code FRIENDS15 for 15% off your first order, unitedharvest.com. I was just sitting here trying to think of a time, well, I just try to think of an example of when a female might have judged me at a national level. And I don't even, I mean, to judge me at all, really. I can't, I mean, Jenna, can you think? No, and and I agree with you, Jara, and not to discredit showmanship because that was my thing I loved yes when I was younger but that's a very like female job they're like they're, I mean there I can't I could tell you more times I showed to a woman in showmanship than I could a man but a, a show I don't even think I've ever gone to a show and judged under a woman I don't think I have I mean cattle cattle I know that there's a few but I mean in the pig deal I can't even Gosh, I can't, I can't think of any, but I guess while we're sort of thinking, she judged some pig shows, but other than that, showmanship, other than that, no. Yeah. I think in the cattle deal and obviously the list, because cattle are, you know, where my heart lies, despite the fact that my paychecks go to feed sheep (laughs) and I do love the sheep. Uh, But the, the list is very cattle focused or at least very cattle heavy. We try really hard to include additional species. Um, But I do think that there are more gals who evaluate shows that are um, on the cattle side. But even with that said, you know, I'm not a young person, but I'm, you know, I'm 32. I don't feel like I am at the front end of the kind of women going to college and judging and stuff. Like, I mean, I think there was plenty of people who had those credentials long before me. And the only woman I ever showed to was Pearl Wathall. Um, And that was at a jackpot show uh, other than, you know, some showmanships, which again, not to discredit showmanships, but um, it's not the show. Right. And I think that Amanda Schnorr, uh, I know you talked to Kirby a few weeks ago, but I mean, think Amanda Schnorr has been a, a phenomenal trailblazer. I mean, she's judged um, big Angus shows. She's judging that Patriot steer show in Texas. Um, she was judging shows while pregnant, which I think is awesome. I mean, she alone has carried this kind of movement, if you will, leaps and bounds forward. I just hope that we don't get into a situation of tokenism where it's like, okay, we hired that guy gal, we're good for the next 10 years. No, you know, we have to ask the question, you know, I get a judges list for a show that I'm particularly involved with. And I email the CEO of that organization. And I say, dear so-and-so, I can't help but notice only 6.5% of the judges are female. Can you explain to me why that is? You know, we have to ask that question, you know, having 
a couple gals do a couple things. That's not enough. I love that because, um, just, I, I, I love like what you say, like, especially with me, you know, like I said, Maddie, she's rooted for me and cheered me on and the judging deal, but going to these contests, I mean, you stand in the top 10 and 50% of them are girls and usually about 70% of the top 10 and reasons and a, you know, a girl heavy year is girls and is females. And then to know that that's where it ends and that's a highlight is kind of disheartening. Uh, and I'm so glad that you're doing these things and, and pushing for that. And I just, uh, I know that a lot of girls and a lot of young girls and women are, there's so many talented people out there that deserve to, to do it and to do the thing. And either they don't know, and I want to hope that that's why they don't know and not that, you know, they're just not giving it the shot, but I love what you're doing. Yeah. I think that it starts small. I mean, every time I get asked to do a show and I can't do it or, you know, the timing works out, I used to just come up with, you know, somebody that I thought could do the job. Um, And I'm guilty of it too. A lot of those recommendations were dudes um, just because it's, oh, that's somebody I've seen do a good job. Um, But I, in the last year have made it, (laughs) made an effort that unless it's my dad, um, my fiance or his little brother, I don't recommend men. Um, I only recommend young ladies, um, or not, not always young ladies, um, female evaluators, because, um, I think unless I'm willing to, you know, put my money where my mouth is, I don't know how I can expect anybody else to. And I know I've heard from Ashley judge a few times. She judged our Illinois beef expo. I think it was this year. And she talked a little bit about how her repercussions, of the decisions that she makes in the ring affect her a little differently than that of a male, let's say. Mm. So do you have any insight on that? You know, she's got a different perspective because she works directly in the production of show livestock. Um, You know, that's her role. And I can imagine that that's a, a, a thought she has to always keep in mind and you know it's it's a little different for me if I judge a cattle show and somebody's not happy with it the likelihood that that impacts me professionally or honestly from in any tangible way on our production standpoint for the sheep um, or my cattle uh, I honestly get to kind of just do it how I want to do it so you know, she, she's got a more challenging situation, I think, to, to weigh out. And then, you know, just beyond that, (laughs) you know, it's not fair, but every time I step in the ring as, as a female evaluator, I, I, I know that I do so um, as a female evaluator, you know, and that I constantly get people come up to me saying, you know, that was, that was pretty good for a gal, or I've never seen a gal do that. You, you did pretty good job. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I can't just go out there as Jarrah settles. And if I do a bad job, then that's just me. You know, I have to know that if I do a bad job, then, uh, you know, little Jenna's out there, or, you know, if the mood strikes you, Maddie, um, little Maddie's out there aren't going to get as many opportunities because, well, we, we tried hiring that one gal and she just did a bad job. So back to the, back to the white dudes we go, um, you know, and that's maybe, 
maybe that's not accurate. Maybe that's, maybe I'm putting too much of everybody else's burden on myself, but I do feel that sometimes. No, I think that that is um, something that, I, I don't know what episode we talked about it with, but not something that I've necessarily faced because I've only, you know, started judging shows for two years, but I just feel and agree with you that if I do, even if I do a job and I'm happy and satisfied with it, you're going to make people mad. It's inevitable. But when an old guy or a young guy, they do, you know, the job, well, whatever he's, you know, political, he's friends with this and that. Well, if I do a job, if I, if I evaluate a show and it's somebody doesn't like it, well, it's because not only am I a girl, but, you know, think about this time when she dated this boy, you know, and mm. this, this and that, that is brought up along with my name and along with that. Mm. Um, and not saying that I've, you know, just have been a, playing a victim role or doing stuff like that. But uh, a lot of more stuff comes out when female evaluators judge versus when just an old guy does. If that makes sense. Yeah. And that was the funny thing about putting the list together um, initially like I said, it's not a list of my friends. It's not even a list of people I think are, are good or bad or whatever. It's, it is truly a list based off of pure recommendation. And so when we were putting the list together, the question was brought up, well, should, should we put her on there? She's got, you know, X, Y, Z reputation, or should we put her on there? You know what so-and-so says about that. And I don't think anyone has ever made a hiring decision for a show, especially of, of a gentleman based off of who they dated or who they didn't date. Um, and so I was pretty firm um, that that was going to play no role in who was on that list or who got recommended or whatnot, because I just don't think it makes a hill of beans difference in terms of how good of a job they do as an evaluator. Retweet. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> this is like a, a conversation that I know that we haven't had on the podcast, but definitely needed to happen because there's a lot of girls. I mean, how do you not go to a show, uh, and, and Maddie, not to, you know, bash on you because it was definitely just the sandwiches, but you know, you want to judge <laughs> people that like, they want to judge, they want to be in the opposite role. Um, but it's discouraging when you don't see, you know, more female evaluators or, you know, oh, I'm, I'm a girl. I'm not going to do this, but enough about, you know, the, the girl power movement that I'm, <laughs> um, I want your kind of just advice, like with having like a fast paced competitive job, stuff like that. And still, you know, like we talked about balancing and stuff, but just your advice career wise, school wise for all these people listening. Yeah. I think in terms of my advice to young people and Maybe this isn't the most um, fun advice, but um, I just I just don't know that there's any excuse for having poor grades um, unless you really get into a super hard class that, you know, you really extend yourself as far as you possibly can. And, you know, the best you can do is to pull that C and you know that, well, then you can go home happy. But if you look at you know, a young person's transcript as an employer, which is the position that I'm in now. Um, and I see that they maybe didn't prioritize the opportunities they were afforded in terms of their education. That makes me question 
how they'll prioritize the opportunities I give them as a young professional. Obviously, once you get to a certain point in your career, uh, your grades don't matter anymore, um, especially after you get your first job. I mean, I liked my GPA, but I don't put it on my resume anymore because uh, there's something kind of pathetic about including it when you're at, at my age. But that particularly that first job, um, and particularly if if it's classes that, you know, if, if you just showed up and, and did your work and participated and, and the employer knows that, I just don't think there's a lot of excuse for not doing your best in, in a position that you're paying to be in. Um, and then from a, you know, from a career perspective, um, it sure helps to do something you like to do. Um, now, I'm not saying that everybody loves their first job right out of school. And in fact, I would say that that would be a, a unique set of circumstances. My first job, my first real job uh, was at the law firm. And I don't know if you guys know that much about um, how big law works or how billable hours work. But basically, if, if you're an attorney at a big law firm, you are held to a billable hour requirement and you have to keep track of your time and, and what you do basically every six minutes for your whole life. Um, and the firm that I was at had a 2000 hour a year billable hour requirement. And so if you do the math on that, that's eight hours a day, 40 weeks or um, 50 weeks a year. I think that's right. Um, so that seems pretty doable, but that's eight hours a day of like actual work that doesn't count going to the bathroom. That doesn't go count you know, grabbing lunch, that's eight hours of, of slaying it, doing work that a client will actually pay for. So I challenge any of you uh, that ever question the value of your attorney's time uh, to sit down and, and keep track of what you do for every six minutes of your workday. Uh, I think you will find that you probably are less productive <laughs> than you uh, think you are. And so living life um, in that billable hour mindset is um, not for everybody. And it's not necessarily super enriching when you realize that all we really have is time. Um, you know, the, the financial component of it's great. The, the learning opportunity is great. And the, um, the, I guess the prowess that comes from having a really cool job like that is great, but, um, you know, there's certain things that happen in your life that give you perspective on the fact that all we have is time um, that make you kind of decide if that's how you want to spend yours. And I, I was in a really um, blessed position to be able to get the job that I have now, which um, although I'm available always, um, I don't have those billable hour requirements. And I get to help people in a very real and tangible way. So even if they do call me at eight o'clock on a Saturday night, I'm glad to hear from them. I'm glad to help them. I'm glad they called me uh, because I know that it's going to make a difference in their business. So kind of the, the short answer to that long answer is um, if you know you're going to be hustling and crushing it and, and working hard, make sure it's something that you get something out of because otherwise you're just going to be pouring from an empty cup. I love that advice. And I had no idea about the billable hours. That's frightening. <laughs> I was, <laughs> while you were talking about that, I don't know, this is just the way my mind works. So I was 
I can't remember what I was watching the other day, if I was scrolling through Facebook or what it was. I think I might have got a notification that like X and X people liked this on Twitter. So I clicked on it and it was like this meme saying like how many hours you spend on the toilet at work. And it was like, it tallied it all up for the year. And it was like, so you're being paid. So it was like, so if you have a $40,000 a year job, uh, you're being paid X and X dollars to sit on the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're a lawyer. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) I don't know why my mind was just thinking that way, but um, like, I, I think we're nearing the end here, but Jenna, do you have any more questions for her that you can think of while we've got her on? I think that you, I loved, I just, I know that my heart is so happy because judging's picking up for me and, uh, just this conversation and moving forward. And like we, Maddie and I have tried to build this community of women, but knowing that that's going on in the livestock industry and the industry and the shows that, that made us is so empowering. So uh, I don't have anything else unless you've got some last words of wisdom, Jara. Yeah, no, I just appreciate you guys having me on. When I first heard the concept of this podcast, I thought um, they're either crazy uh, or really brave because um, I know that I I go back through my social media posts when I was your age uh, or both of your guys' ages and I delete more of them than I keep uh, just because what was on um, early 20-something Jarrah's mind is probably nothing that needs to be on the internet in perpetuity. And so the fact that you guys are out here, you know, putting it out there um, in a platform like a podcast, I think is as admirable. I I love kind of the rebrand that you guys are going through with this second season. Um, I love, you know, hearing from inspirational women like Blaine Arthur. Um, I think that we, we need to hear more of that. And whether you're a gal or a guy, um, you know, I think that, that those stories are um, inspirational and empowering. So kudos to you guys. You're doing something. Oh, don't, don't, that- don't for one think that we're not scared. We're just trying to come up with something <laughs> to make us laugh when we're old and in a nursing home oh, together. <laughs> because like, I've definitely had to be like, okay. Um, so like, how am I going to get a job when I say <laughs> every time I enter this? But then I'm like, you know what? This is helping people. I think Maddie and I have to have come to Jesus meetings with each other sometimes. So while you're hyping us up, you know, some, this is bigger than us, you know, Maddie and I, we, we started the podcast, but the DMS that we get for people that this is saved on a mental health basis, oh, yeah. empowered. Uh, I don't, I don't want to work for somebody who's mad at me or because I said hookers, if it's helping. <laughs> Man, yeah. I, I love, I love your guys's content on, you know, normalizing mental health conversations and it's okay to be not okay. I think that's not something that we as an industry talk about enough. And um, so I, I really applaud you guys for marrying both kind of the inspiration and, and the real talk with um, still something that's fun and lighthearted to uh, enjoy listening to. Well, thank you so much. And everyone, this, when will this air? Oh, this will air in December, right? Oh, that's scary. <laughs> um, thank God this year's almost over. <laughs> but Jen- I don't even... I don't even know what tomorrow is, so don't ask me when it airs. Tomorrow's your birthday, Maddie. 
Yeah. Well, well hot dog. Gosh. Happy birthday, Maddie. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's how just old, how old will you be? Twenty-three. Man. It, well, it's funny because you and I don't know each other, but you know, it's it's a small industry. So I've always known who's Todd who Todd's kids were. And so you've always been just a, a little bitty kiddo. Um so the fact you've got a, a big girl job and you're 23 makes me feel real old. <laughs> Yeah, you sound like my dad. He's like <laughs> going into denial at the fact that I'm going to be 23 tomorrow. <laughs> well, everyone, well, happy you have a good birthday. You guys have the whoever's listening. Be safe. Have fun. Merry Christmas. I think ish. All right, we'll talk to you later. <laughs> As we've mentioned in the previous couple of episodes, we want to give a huge shout out to the Stock Market Boutique. You can find them on Instagram or Facebook, maybe. I'm not. I think. I would say so. So anyhow, so go ahead and search them on your favorite social media platform. Get on their website. Use code TKP10 to get 10% off. They've got all sorts of things to offer from jeans, all the way to your favorite Dojo 7s, t-shirts, graphic tees. I love the striped flares that they had. I was just looking at those. They are so cute because those are in, you know, to be different. I think they have different colors as well. It looks like they come in rust and in ivory with blue. So check those out. Those are one of our favorite items right now. Yeah, they're cute. And flare jeans make your legs look so good girls so good so don't be a loser shop the stock market